Not long ago, in a far-off corner of a place called the Internet, a revolution was born. Forged in the fires of common experience, the survivors of a mysterious movie known only as A Talking Cat came together. Their purpose, to dissect this fascinating failure of a film and broadcast their findings through the cosmos in hopes that future generations might learn from their mistakes. Some would call them heroes, others would call them mad, but despite the grueling road ahead of them, the group would take up the Sisyphean task and become a talking cast? Are they adventurers, sinner as a savior's or Are they demented, love the punishments, I can't be sure But one thing I do know is that the mission here to force To make your life so hard that you'll be pissing on your kitchen floor Hello listeners and welcome to A Talking Cast The A Talking Cat podcast that no one really asked for But we decided to give you anyway I'm your host, Clint Worthington And I'm the guest, Jason Michael McIsaac And we are now on to uh, episode 49, minute 48 Which contains possibly my favorite minute of the show me too of the entire film uh yeah in a movie where so little happens already this is definitely a minute where the least happens i think arguably yeah, yeah it's a tone poem for sure yes absolutely it's uh, it's it's the moment where terrence malick got to come in and uh and direct <laughs> direct a scene for the film it's like it's like in sin city when quentin tarantino got to direct a scene uh but yeah and both take place in cars or involving cars at least uh yes this scene it's right after, uh, it's actually kind of confusing. It's right after uh, the guy, the dad, I keep forgetting his name. Um, um, yeah. What yeah, yeah, we name? don't know his name. Yeah. But uh, right after he has talked to Mr. Financial Advisor about uh, going to take a walk in the woods. Uh, and he leaves, and then we fade to a car. And for the rest of the minute, we're just going to watch this car uh, drive very slowly through the winding roads of California. Yeah, it's a it's a beautiful uh, scene. To to some very lovely lovely music, uh, <laughs> which I think you have something to say on. Yeah, uh, yeah. Full disclosure, I, I I make music for television and film by day, and I'm no stranger to MIDI. Yes, um, and I mean without hyperbole, that cue could be made in 20 minutes. Like, yeah. and it would be um, in by orders of magnitude better than the cue that plays through the scene. <laughs> yeah. It is I magnificent. Mean, th- yeah, throughout the film, I, I like to describe the music that we hear as video poker music. It is. It sounds, I, yeah, just like a video slot machine. It, it To me, it sounds, a lot of the cues are like, if Curb Your Enthusiasm cues were made by someone with head trauma and like just a little, <laughs> little MIDI keyboard. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, I mean, so we get that for a whole minute. So we don't even have banal dialogue to, to, uh, to cut through that also. So we're forced to listen to it. Um, it, it always sounds like it's like a psychotic person's birthday. It, it does. It, it, and I, I'm sure this has been discussed, but obviously the, the, com- the composer, um, his um, Harry Manfredini, Manfredini, did yes. all these horror films like you know, um, Swamp Thing and House and Hills of Eyes too, and of course Friday, th- most famously the Friday Thirteenth um, movies. Uh-huh. Um, but 
none of that is in this. Yeah, <laughs> like, it kind of reminds me. Um, I don't know if you have you've had a chance to witness this. This is another uh, terrible movie featuring a famous cat, uh, Grumpy Cat's Worst Christmas Ever. I have not yet seen uh, it. I watched about half of it and turned it off. But uh, one credit that fascinated me there was the music is by this guy named Paul Leonard Morgan who is a very, actually really good composer. He usually does, like, industrial music. He did yeah. the score for Limitless. He did the score, the great score for Dread. Yeah. Um, but in Grumpy Cat's Worst Christmas Ever, it sounds like every shitty Hallmark movie. <laughs> every shitty Hallmark Christmas movie, specifically. So uh, it, maybe this is a similar situation. Well, I went through, I mean, I, I was so enamored of the music that I went through and, and I really did my due diligence and read a lot of interviews um, about the composer. And he actually laments the fact that musical scores now are more percussive writing, more like ostinato-based material. He kind of mourns the loss of melody, big melodies and big themes. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, he goes, and, and I mean, in defense of him, if you dig a bit deeper, it seems the score is actually done by this company called Big Score Music, yeah. which, which means he has um, some library music on this website, this company that he co-runs. Uh, so I would be shocked if he composed a single uh, note for this movie. I think this is all library music that he had some hand in. Yeah, I didn't I didn't know that he had composed La Cucaracha. That is amazing. Yes. And also it's... there's this, because I deal with MIDI so much, uh, you know, it's all about trying to make it sound you know, good. And, and MIDI always sounds best when it's surrounded by real instruments as well. He doesn't go this route. Um, and, and, you know, the, the difference between like a, an, a classical guitar and say a classical guitar in this, in this particular scene is, you know, a classical guitar is banana and this is banana flavored. That's what, what, kind of how we talk about MIDI. <laughs> nice. It's the Runtz school of music composition. <laughs> it really is. And it's, uh, he doesn't, um, through the whole film, there's no scoring. There's no um, the music is not a character mm-hmm. that chooses its moments and lets the other characters talk because you don't the, you don't want to talk over the the actors. Music yeah. is a character. This is literally like start and stop, needle drop cues with yeah. these weird, strange, expansive melodies, and never more so true. I think than this scene where I don't even like. I, I <laughs> yeah, it's it's. I mean, it's there purely to fill space. It's yeah. purely, purely, purely to fill space. Um, I guess going back to what you were saying, though, it kind of reminds me of Amelie, where Jan Tiersen, the guy who made Amelie, the guy who made the music for yeah. Amelie, wasn't really interested in scoring the movie. No, he not basically at all. wanted to make a Jan Tiersen album. He's like, that's right, Put the tracks in. Yeah, and, uh, and I'll but this tell is you like that. a shitty version of this. It is, and this is like the number one thing that you know when I was starting out, I got told not to do by directors. Like I would work with directors, and they would say like. You're you're in the way. Like you 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 you're you're drawing too much attention to yourself. Like you've done your job if nobody notices you. Yeah. And uh, and just researching uh, this composer, uh, talking about all of his cues for Friday Thirteenth and how they had to denote how some of the music had to be demonstrative that there was madness afoot. Yes. Um, and it had to point a finger at various characters, so to speak. And I kind of feel like he's brought that insanity to the film. In fact, it's probably. In, I mean, I'm, I'm biased, but. To me, it's probably the most insane component to the whole film is the music. Yeah, it's music to go mad to. Yeah, it literally is. Like when I used to look at the cover of Skeleton Crew, Stephen King, uh-huh. that book as a kid, that's the music I envision. <laughs> nice. Uh, but yeah, like, but but uh, going back to the, the scene itself, like, you know, when you're watching the movie First Blush, you know, you see 
the guy leave and then we see him get into a car and yes he said that he was going to walk well you see you see a car going down the road you think that it's him i guess right i never even actually like it's actually i mean because i had to keep watching afterwards just to make after the minute's over like we don't even find out who that is in this minute but um spoiler alert it's susan yeah so that's a, a, a that's a reveal i guess like she's gotten back from the investors or whatnot, but um, I guess or red herring. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Um, but yeah, we just get for this whole minute, we just get like three or four shots of just panning, panning on a tripod, watching this white sedan drive it. Yeah, ten, fifteen miles an hour tops. And it's funny because it doesn't. I was thinking it because you know I do music for commercials a lot too, and I see a lot of cars. And uh, this scene doesn't do the landscape or the car any justice. It actually makes both look less beautiful than than it should it yeah. really is like just a throwaway it's such yeah it's such an odd thing and also like the low angle of some of the shots <laughs> like the last one in the minute where, where he's, he's filming through like the brush it kind of right. looks very it, weirdly voyeuristic like yeah. <laughs> like are she going to get murdered that's that's yeah. what i'm asking myself um it actually oddly reminded me of the beginning of the shining wow. where uh because we're also seeing they're also we're also seeing a car uh, driving along a winding road to a mysterious destination, and I'm like, okay, all right, fine, David Decato, let's let's yeah. do this. Let's let's invite this comparison. The, the um, cheese puffs in your mind, yes. Uh, mm. um, and also, uh, it reminded me of Birdemic, Shock and Terror, which I just watched actually. Yeah, um, uh, both terrible movies. Who uh, by filmmakers who are convinced that the audience really needs to see the minutia of how. It uh, they're patient from place to place. They're patient filmmakers. Yes, and they <laughs> but they expect a lot of their audience. They have a lot of right. faith in them. I think. And, uh, and I would say though, in defense of Birdemic, it seemed to have a more cohesive narrative uh, in some respects than this, or at least I understood what the conflict was. Oh, absolutely. But insofar it, as there was one. Yeah, <laughs> I, but uh, but I love my favorite parts of that film. Much like in this minute, are just like the willingness to show someone just driving down a road Absolutely. or like slowly pull Absolutely. into somewhere. Uh, yeah. Cause we really need to see that. Like, yeah. Oh, we need to see them stop for gas. Yeah. Um, and yeah. And here it's just, it's just Christine DeBell, uh, presumably driving this, this sort of mom sedan <laughs> along this lonely road uh, back to her house. Like we were like we were going to reveal the house as a new location, but no, we've lived there for a little bit in That's the movie. Right. We don't need this. Yeah, I don't. It's true. It's this, baffling this, this, why he thinks that we need an entire minute of it. It's it's true, and it. I find that you know, in 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 general, it's a film with only two locations and about one hundred and fifty five thousand establishing shots uh-huh. of, um, and this scene, yeah, this like it just <laughs> seemed like it didn't serve its purpose, which I presume was to show us get from a to b but the person at a is not the person going to b it's, it's very <laughs> odd yeah yeah exactly he directed wolves of wall street in, in 2002 he should know better than this he's right <laughs> oh no <laughs> have you seen uh, that one a, a talking wolf <laughs> oh no yeah, it's incredible yeah yeah exactly but uh yeah i mean that's that's the trouble with this scene. Uh, I mean, I think it speaks volumes about the film, not so much about the story. That's uh, right. It's literally, it's it's baffling to me. Uh, and in that way, I'm, I'm fascinated. I'm just fascinated by the, the need to include this scene. It, it, almost rem- it almost reminds me of like, I don't know if you ever caught this uh, on Netflix. 
they always had like these sample videos like netflix made its own in-house like yes i remember seeing those that's just like long slow pans of the netflix yep. campus yes that one guy like, like yep. reading a laptop while doing the moonwalk it felt like it kind of belonged there well to his to to david's credit there is a movement of television afoot at least in canada um cause i've been in a few meetings um it's called <laughs> slow television yeah and and basically it's a return to like you turn on your television and you'll watch some like like a, a fireplace but it'll be someone chopping wood or someone knitting or people playing board games or you know people just sitting and, and scratching lottery tickets and literally this is a movement of television and um, that's incredible yeah and it's called, it's called slow tv and 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 every moment matters as much or as little as the <laughs> moment before and yeah, remember that seemed... smash hit gene dealman <laughs> <laughs> let's make everything like that now wow exactly yeah one equals one forever yeah um, oh man all right yeah. so i mean i almost think that's about it that's really all we can say because the the mystery of who's in the car which we spoiled already yep. is revealed in the following minute which uh, will come next episode uh now uh before we go do you have anything you want to plug i um i have a band uh, anybody out there who likes music uh, we're called the heavy blinkers Huh? Um, if, you're, if you're into orchestral pop, this might be right up your alley. Um, so check it out. Yeah, just type heavy blinkers into Google, and and uh, I hope you like what you hear. Excellent. And uh, I co- I also co-host the Alka Hollywood podcast. It's at alkahollywood.com, A-L-C-O, hollywood.com. It combines film reviews with drinking games and mixology and all that. We have a lot of fun. Uh, that's also on iTunes or Stitcher. Uh, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter and all of that. Uh, as for ep- as for other episodes of The Talking Cast, uh, you can find us at soundcloud.com slash a dash talking dash cast you're all, we're also on twitter at a talking cast and facebook slash a talking cast and uh yeah you can also download our episodes on itunes uh this has been episode 49 minute 48 of a talking cast see you later take care minute by minute that's so they'll be diving in to shed some clarity on this hilariously failed attempt so grab a friend and crack a beer with them and listen in a talking cast is about to begin that was episode 49 of a talking cast your host was clint wellington with guest jason mcisaac edited by darren husted music by casey trimble voiceover by john kovaleski artwork by josh hollis executive producers sarah cantor and darren husted Copyright 2015. All rights reserved. This podcast is not affiliated with Rapid Heart Productions. A Talking Cat is owned by Rapid Heart Productions. No infringement is intended. We all miss you, Linda Ahers.